But when you are constantly responsible in your own mind for intuiting other people's needs, wants, preferences, desires, which sometimes we're wrong, but that's a whole other subject, it's really hard for you to have enough time and space left over to intuit those same things for yourself. there. Welcome to the Real World NP Podcast. I'm Liz Rohr, family nurse practitioner, educator, and founder of Real World NP, an educational company for nurse practitioners in primary care. I'm on a mission to equip and guide new nurse practitioners so that they can feel confident, capable, and take the best care of their patients. If you're looking for clinical pearls and practice tips without the fluff, you're in the right place. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review so you won't miss an episode. Plus, you'll find links to all the episodes with extra goodies over at realworldnp.com podcast. I just had the absolute pleasure of recording an interview with Kate Donovan. So Kate Donovan is an international keynote speaker. She's the host of Fried the Burnout podcast, author of the book, The Bounce Back Ability Factor. She's an acupuncturist with a master's degree in Chinese medicine as well. So her creative burnout recovery solutions have been featured on podcasts and online magazines such as Forbes, NPR, and the New York Post. So she is just fantastic. And I've been through a few burnout experience, which is experiences myself, which I speak about on this podcast episode, but she has helped me so much with both her podcast, her book. There's a free Facebook group. You'll learn all about it um, in, on this episode, but we cover uh, some really unique, interesting pieces about burnout. I think that the way that she covers it is so unique and insightful and in depth and really has given me a better picture of understanding burnout itself and then how we recover. So we covered things about like, what are the physiologic changes that happen with chronic stress? What are some of the risk factors, both external, which are a lot of the ones that we already hear about, but also what are the internal ones? Also talked about where we begin if we realize that we're burnt out and where do we go from there? And also we touch on this concept of burnout prevention and like what self-care really means and is burnout prevention even possible? So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Without further ado, here is my talk with Kate Donovan. I was so thrilled to be asked and I, uh, this is a community that is near and dear to my heart. So I'm really happy to be here. Totally. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Well, there's so many things that we can say about burnout. Obviously you have an entire podcast you've been doing for years and like, there's still more and more to learn and to do. And yeah. So one of the things that you and I talked about off camera or off recording was that, well, actually maybe I'll start with a personal experience. So I've had burnout two different times and actually the most recent time was in this company. And actually it took me by surprise because the first time I burnt out was I was a clinician as a nurse practitioner working in primary care, you know, overworked, underpaid, underappreciated, just all the burnout external risk factors, which we can touch on a little bit later, but I was like, oh, clearly I'm burnt out because of all of these external factors. Like I'm going to change my job. It's a toxic work environment, all this stuff. And then I got burnt out this year running the real world NP, which is a job that I love. Like I made this job, I made this company and it caught me totally by surprise. And I just felt like so kind of embarrassed actually. So I haven't actually shared this on the podcast yet. Maybe I'll record another podcast talking about it, but, but I was pretty embarrassed. And I think that one thing, so I found your podcast. That's how I came to meet you because I was like struggling. I was really struggling and I had to take some time away from the podcast. Yeah. One of the things that really, really helped me initially that I think would be so awesome to talk about what happens to our brains under chronic stress. Cause I can talk about like the symptoms and stuff that I had, but I, I'd love to hear from you. First, if you want to share a little bit about that. So this all came about when I was doing extra studies into burnout. And I found this article that said, of course, it's online. It was on, mm. you know, it was just a medium or whatever. Mm. Your brain shrinks under chronic stress. And I was like, oh, here's another journalist who doesn't know how to read medical research. You know, yeah. I was like, oh, here we go. So when I see stuff like that, my natural go-to is let me actually find these articles that this person is referencing and figure mm -hmm. out what they're actually saying. Because 
what the heck? You, we can't yeah. tell people that their brains are shrinking. Like that's yeah. totally irresponsible. And then I read the articles and I was like, oh, shoot, our, <laughs> our brains are shrinking. And yeah. that threw me down rabbit hole that I never knew I was going to run down when I started mm. really looking into burnout. Mm. It Because it blew my mind. And so what yeah. was said was that what they find with people that are have, you know, long-term, which is the definition of chronic, right? they have chronic stress for extended, mm. extended periods. The prefrontal cortex, so the front of their brain, is smaller, especially the left medial prefrontal cortex for those mm. that are in the brain sciences. And that's still a fairly large area. So we're talking about a pretty big zone. This is not super specific, but that area shrinks and that area is responsible for your executive functioning, which means your ability to task initiate, to make decisions, to connect with other people, to self-motivate, to, you know, on and on and on. These are the functions that we work on with children as their brains are developing around preschool and kindergarten time. This is wait in line, inhibit yourself from slapping your neighbor when you want their crayon, you know, like ask yeah. to go to the bathroom, repeat uh, instructions that have two, three, four steps, etc. cetera. Mm -hmm. So all of these things that we were supposed to, that we developed most likely, maybe some of us didn't develop them as well because of another reason we'll get to in a bit, that we developed as children, we lose our ability to react well, we lose our ability to read as many mirror neurons. So we're having a hard time empathizing with people because we can't mm. really connect with how they're feeling the way we may have done supernaturally in the past. We didn't even realize we were doing it. Mm. So we have all of these things going on and that's just one part. Another thing that I, when I dug in a little bit further is that the hippocampus also shrinks. The hippocampus is where our memory is stored. Not all of it. We can get into the specifics of different kinds of memory, et cetera. But suffice it to say that there's some memory that gets stored in your hippocampus and your hippocampus shrinks and then you don't have access to it. I had a client once ask me, Kate, but am I getting stupid? I feel I'm burnt out and I feel mm -hmm. stupid. Yeah. Am I getting stupid? And I said, well, yeah, yeah a little bit. It <laughs> Like, yeah, it won't last. It it can come back, but you might feel a little dumb right now because you don't have access to things you think you should know. I remember being so excited for someone when they said, Kate, Kate, I'm I, I have a new like recovery moment, like a green, we call them green flag moments, right? I have a new recovery moment. You know those stupid six-digit codes that you have to get for your secondary authorization of everything you have to sign yeah. into now? She yeah. said, I was able to read it on my phone and remember it and put it into my computer without looking back at it. Mm -hmm. She said, I used to be able to do that really easily, and I lost that ability. It's yeah. been two years since I was able to yeah. look at that six-digit code and just put it in my computer and get it right. Yeah. She said, and I was nervous when I clicked enter because I like tried not to look. You know, I was yeah. like, I'm going to I'm going to see if I can do this. I and I clicked that. enter and it went through. So we have the prefrontal cortex shrinking. We have the hippocampus shrinking. And then we have the amygdala. We call we everybody always says the amygdala. Those that are nurses know that there are two, right? One on each side. <laughs> I call it Amy G. Dalla because I think that that's funnier. <laughs> Amy instead of shrinking, grows. So our amygdala is our fear center, right? It's what helps us scan. It's the lighthouse that scans for danger in our environments. It's the thing that exists on a primal level to protect us from like evil outside forces. We scan, we scan, mm -hmm. we scan, we find the danger and we create our fees, freeze, fight, flight, or tend to befriend reaction, depending on what the situation is, right? That part of our brain is bigger, which is making us hypervigilant, which is mm -hmm. making us most likely misinterpreting danger signals, looking at safe things and interpreting them as dangerous because we are unable to process properly the, oh my God, this is dangerous. And no, 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 it's not, we're fine. Because the no, 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 it's not, we're fine comes from the prefrontal cortex. Mm. It attaches through the anterior cingulate cortex, right? So mm. there's this pathway that's disturbed between the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala that doesn't allow us to talk ourselves down from situations that are not actually harmful. So what happens is we end up saying, well, this is a toxic workplace. And sometimes it is, 
And sometimes it's not. Sometimes you're seeing stuff that's not there. And and this is scary because people can gaslight you. Mm. And we don't want people to gaslight you because what you're feeling is still real. So like how... Right. Yeah. Get, we can get stuck in this. It's a really scary zone where we don't know if the things we think are dangerous are actually truly dangerous. So an example of this, not in the workplace, because th- those are, I think, harder to describe. But an example of this is I was walking through a, a path near my house, like a, a forest path. And I was walking along and I went <laughs> because I looked down and I saw what looked like a snake, like mm-hmm. like kind of sticking out of the ground. And then my prefrontal cortex went, oh, no, look, that's just a, like a root from a tree mm-hmm. that is pushed out through the ground. And the top of it, the head looks like a snake. And I went, oh, OK. And then I continued on my walk. And I thought, if I was still burnt out, I might not have been able to do that. Mm. So I would have gone home and been like, oh, my God, I was so scared. I saw a snake. And I would have mm-hmm. thought that I actually saw a snake. But I didn't yeah. see a snake. I saw a root. So that was a big, big explanation, maybe a little more than you've heard on my podcast, because I've learned a little bit more and because I know that this, your particular audience will understand this a little bit more than a lay population. Totally. And I just like there, well, there's two things that I found extremely hopeful about that. Like one, it was just super validating because at least for me in this round of burnout, which felt different than the first time I was like, wow, I just like, I felt dumber. I was like, I can't remember things. I love to read. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't even focus. I couldn't even focus on a book. Yep. And That's I a just common like, complaint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and I, and I think that, and I loved starting with this because I think it'll be really validating for a lot of nurse practitioners because like chronic stress kind of comes with the territory of the job and like, how are we doing with managing it? And like, this also ties into one of the topics we talked about, but like, there are a lot of people who are in these caregiving professions, nurses, nurse practitioners, who just care so deeply that they tend to put themselves last and they're not really attending to themselves and not taking care of their stress. And like, oh, that's not a big deal. Like I'm fine. I can handle anything. I can do anything for a year. Right. They're really tough and resilient too. And also chronic stress is going to like, it's going to wreak havoc on your brain, regardless of how tenacious you are. Right. Cause I'm also a very tenacious person, which is why I've gotten burnt out multiple times. But I think the other piece too, is that this is reversible. Yeah. Can you, can you speak a little bit about that? Like, this is not, this is not a permanent damage thing. Right. Cause These it was not... so terrifying. And then I was like, Oh no, 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 it'll get better. Okay, yeah. <laughs> which is amazing. Right. We know now how plastic our brains are. Mm-hmm. All we have to do all we have to do. That's a really <laughs> silly thing to say. <laughs> the only thing you have to do, darling, is take four seconds and it will be fixed. No, it will not. But what your body needs in order for your brain to reconnect and regrow and calm down in the amygdala mm-hmm. is a creation of feelings of safety, mm-hmm. which changing that outside environment in some cases is really necessary, right? Sometimes there are so many external factors that are actually dangerous. You are being bullied. Your boss is a narcissist. And we know in the medical profession, there's a lot of that, more so than in the general population, right? So yeah, there are these external factors that may need to be changed, but internally, we also have to learn to find safety. One of the best ways to do this, that is, listen, everybody, not trying to sell you coaching right now. This is absolutely free. This is free all over the interwebs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yoga Nidra, which is also known as a body scan, which is also known as non-sleep deep rest if you're an Andrew Huberman podcast listener. I love that, by the way. It's it's so good. Anyway, sorry, continue. It's so good. Those three things are basically the same. And what they are doing is encouraging your body, encouraging your brain to increase its level of interoception. So interoception is our ability to sense our body's signals, pain, emotions, hunger, fatigue, thirst, peeing when you have to pee. That's our unofficial hashtag mm-hmm. for my podcast, right? The the basic systems of your body, interoception is your is your ability to connect with them and know what they're asking you for and notice what they're doing. Mm. Oftentimes, When we are people that tend to burn out, we are also people that tend to intuit other people's states on a regular basis without being asked to Mm. necessarily. Yes. Right. But we're good at it by nature. So we do it all the time. But when you are constantly responsible in your own mind for intuiting other people's needs, wants, preferences, desires, which sometimes we're wrong, but that's a whole other subject, it's really hard for you to have enough time and space left over to intuit those same things for yourself. 
what we do in those states is really basically self-neglect. We leave ourselves behind so we can figure out that this patient is thirsty, this patient is in pain, my children need dinner, whatever the heck happened, it happens to be, anything. So when we are practicing something like a body scan or yoga nidra or non-sleep deep rest, you are laying down or sitting and it is saying, you know, relax your jaw, relax your forehead, let your eyes sink, like release your shoulders. And as you feel literally your physical body shifting, you are increasing your ability to interocept. And the more you practice this, the better you get at it, which means you will start to feel more things besides your jaw relaxing and your tongue releasing and your shoulders dropping and your chest opening. Mm. You'll start to say, oh, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable in this scenario. And I didn't realize it before. There's a weird dynamic in this relationship that I don't like. Mm. But you mm -hmm. can't feel that stuff if you can't feel your body, if you can't feel mm -hmm. anything else. It comes in layers. It comes in knowledge. And the base knowledge is knowing when you have to pee. Nurses mm -hmm. and teachers always laugh at this. It's like, we don't have time to pee. I was going to say, we have to say that a couple more times. <laughs> yeah. Right? You don't have time. Yes, you do. You have mm -hmm. to make time for it. And I think like the, the other thing about that is like, it's really normalized in the medical yes. profession and, and the kind of culture at large, especially because there are a lot of, you know, cis female patients, uh, yeah. sorry, cis female providers um, and nurses. So like, in terms of like, if you were socialized female growing up, like, it's like, yeah, that's a great thing. You put everybody else before you. And if you take care yeah. of yourself, it's selfish. And a lot of people like, don't even know, like does not compute. Like, what does that mean? Putting myself first. Right. Um, and yeah. yeah, it's like, it's just, it's just so crucial. And, well, and I don't even, I, I think we make it bigger than it needs to be. I'm not asking mm. you to like supply yourself with diamonds and bubble baths on Fridays. <laughs> I'm just asking you to go to the bathroom when you have to mm -hmm. go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Like I was, I was a, an acupuncturist. I had my own practices for 15 years in mm -hmm. Warsaw and in Prague and in New York City. So I traveled. I was an international acupuncturist. I was doing all these patients all the time. I, I, I lived in patient life. And I would literally go finish an appointment when I already knew I had to go to the bathroom mm -hmm. instead of literally taking the 60 seconds. I'm like the fastest peer on the planet. <laughs> it's going to take me 60 seconds to go yep. to the bathroom and wash mm -hmm. my hands thoroughly mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and get back to my patient before which I'm going to wash my hands again anyway, because you wash your hands when you walk into a patient room, because that's what you do. Mm -hmm. Right. Like mm -hmm. 60 seconds. I wouldn't give myself. That's like such a great example of like, it's like a real concrete, like, yep. 60 seconds to attend to myself and my needs yeah. before attending to another person. Because I mean, I think there's a lot of talk about filling up your cup first so that you can yeah. serve from a full cup instead of an empty cup. But it's like those, like you're saying, like, these are the really small moments of like building on and building on and building on of like, what are the habits of self-neglect that we have? Um, yeah. to, and, and amending those, because it's like, not even again, like not being selfish. We're just talking about like neglect versus care. And like, you can't yes. function, like if you can't do it, like, and then one of the things that I did for myself when I got burnt before I got burnt out the first time, um, and in terms of speaking up with boundaries and having more confidence, especially as a newer nurse practitioner, because a lot of the yeah. listeners of the podcast are new nurse practitioners is like, if I can't do it for myself, I'll do it for my patient. And that was like my yeah. proxy way of like, okay, I don't have the self-esteem and confidence to make this decision for my own benefit. However, I care really deeply about my work and my patients that I take care of. So like, I'll do that first. Right. And yeah. I think that like, that can be a crutch for people um, is again, like if that feels too foreign for you, this is going to help prevent you number one from burning out. And also number two tied with that, if you're really dedicated to your work and your patients, and you can only think about that, you won't be able to serve them long-term. And that's one of the first realizations I had the first time I burnt out, I was like, wow, I'm not going to, I'm going to, I might leave this profession if I don't yeah. fix something. Yeah. And I think it's really okay to use that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's okay to, I, I, there was an Instagram post going around. I think this is the third or fourth time I've seen it go around in the past couple of years. And somebody said like to a mother, don't you feel bad for taking time away from your kids to, to exercise? And she said, no, I feel bad when I'm an absolute Mm -hmm. insert word here to my children <laughs> because I haven't taken time for myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, that's what 100%. I feel bad about. I feel yeah. bad about not showing up as, mm -hmm. as who I know I can show up as for them yeah. mm -hmm. because I didn't take this half hour 
to do this other thing. And I know there's some of you out there that literally do not have a half hour right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm asking you to start with peeing. I love that. I love that that was what we're going down to. (laughs) This we talk we joke about this. We joke about this on the podcast all the time. Yeah. Well, it's right, like the, especially appropriate for nurse yeah. practitioners too. Yeah. Nurse practitioners, teachers. I can't even tell you how many corporate workers have said, well, no, like I, I will hold it until I finish that last email. It's an email. It will wait yeah. for you. It'll be there. It's not yeah. going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And even if you click send by accident, you just send another one. To, it's not yeah. like n- nothing is going on here. Just totally. go to the bathroom. In, in my business, we call this foundational self-care. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the things that we are taught on social media 100%. about self-care is not the cure for burnout and you only have to do self-care for burnout. Like there's all these things mm-hmm. floating around and it's, and a lot of them feel, imp- yeah. yeah, yeah. And like set boundaries. You can't set boundaries if you don't pee when you have to pee. Mm. Like before we get to the place where you're able to care for yourself on a larger scale, you have yeah. to be able to do the bare minimum. So if we're not starting at those silly places, we're never going to get to the further places because you can't set a boundary with, you know, the difference. Do you have a dog? Yeah. So, you know, when you're walking with your dog and they're trying to pull you to go to the left and Mm -hmm. you don't really want to go to the left, but like you could, Mm -hmm. but you're trying to get them to go to the right and they're pulling to the left and you have like wiggle room about what you're going to do with them. Mm They know, <laughs> right? Yes. Like they like if they can yes. feel it, they'll just keep pulling to the left until you yeah. give in. Mm-hmm. But when you don't have wiggle room and you're like, no, we are on a schedule. We are going mm-hmm. to the right. Like that is mm-hmm. not even an option. Yep. They might pull a little bit, but they give up faster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same thing with my child who's very yeah. spirited. <laughs> right. I don't, and I don't have children, so I don't use that example, but mm-hmm. right. Children, patients, other doctors, other nurses, like everybody mm-hmm. we interact with can feel when we have that space. So if you try to set boundaries before you have enough solidness within you to be able to set that boundary and understand on a deep level that you're really not going to move it out of the way, Mm -hmm. nobody's Mm going to listen to you. Yeah. And I think a lot of people talk about, I, I hear it over and over and over again, new nurse practitioners, because it's, it's terrifying. Like it's really yeah, scary to, to be brand new and have imposter syndrome and be like, yeah. oh, wow, people want to ask me things, but you know, and then they say they don't want to rock the boat. Like I hear that all the time. And yet it's rocking the boat is just part of being a nurse practitioner, being part yeah. of a clinician, being an adult, like, yeah. um, that's called people pleasing is not rocking the boat and people pleasing is self-abandonment and self-neglect. And it yes. sounds nice. And it sounds like you're, you know, keeping peace, but it's, it's ultimately neglecting ourselves. And it's also really hard and scary to break out of that pattern, like speaking from personal experience. So, so what you're like, I just, I just can't overemphasize enough what you're saying about that foundational piece is like, that's the entry point. Yeah. Um, and so whatever, whatever, things you can grab onto to get to that entry point. If you were in that pattern of not wanting to rock the boat or people pleasing or anything like that. Um, yeah, it's like, it's just a slow and steady process because especially if you're brand new or maybe if you're heading towards burnout, like, yeah, you just like, you need to start now. And like this, I kind of maybe might segue into our next topic. One of the topics we talked about, which is, um, burnout prevention. Hmm. Uh, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of talk about, Um, so there's a lot of talk about, um, especially in the healthcare world, um, a lot of, and I've seen a trend of this over the last year or so that a lot of continuing education programming or conferences are talking about wellness and there, cause they can see, they can see that the last three years or so have been really rough. I mean, it's been, it's been really rough, even for me. Like I haven't been in, in as much clinical practice as, uh, other clinicians who listen to this podcast, but like, I don't know, it's, it's. There's, I think there's a lot of talk, the fallacies of both self-care and about burnout prevention mm-hmm. um, now make my blood boil because I understand so much more, but um, can you talk to us a little bit about, um, God, there's so many things I want to talk about, but like just leading with like, can we prevent burnout? Is burnout prevention real? What are the things we can do about it versus what are the stages of burnout? <laughs> I'm just going to like, can yeah. we download as much as we yeah, can? can yeah, we can. And this is, this is a topic that I am uh, extremely passionate about. As you know, mm-hmm. um, I don't believe in burnout prevention mm-hmm. as a general rule. When you look at statistics around cancer, mm-hmm. for instance, 
it is something like 37, I think it's 37% of cancers could have been avoided by proper lifestyle, by mm -hmm. different dietary changes, exercise changes, et cetera. That means 66% of cases, 33, 66, I don't remember exactly what the numbers are, mm -hmm, 67, mm -hmm. whatever it is. Whatever. Ignore my math 60, at the moment. <laughs> Ignore my math. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, but I think it was 33 and 67, whatever, but mm. it doesn't, it's something around 30 and 60, 40 and 60. Mm. That means that all of those other people, regardless of lifestyle changes would have gotten cancer anyway. So I, I think sometimes we like to believe in this magical world where if we take care of ourselves perfectly, mm -hmm. nothing will ever happen. Mm -hmm. And that's just not true. So do I think that there are some cases of burnout that could have been prevented? Maybe. But mm -hmm. I know after spending seven years talking to all of you that you didn't notice those things were happening mm -hmm. and you didn't start paying attention to them until after they happened, which is totally fine. I think that there's a lot of shame being yeah. sold to people by saying, hey, you just get on burnout prevention and then it won't mm -hmm. happen to you. Yeah. Why would you start burnout prevention if you weren't burning out? Yeah. And if you're burning out, the stuff that you're using for burnout prevention is not going to work because if you're burning yeah. out, your brain is in a different state and you have oh, I'm getting I'm getting real riled up right now. Right. Your brain is in a different state and you have different needs. The burnout prevention yeah. techniques won't work for you, in yeah. which case then you are doubting yourself. You're getting self-judgmental. You're mm -hmm. feeling guilty. Mm -hmm. You're saying I'm doing all the right things, but I still feel like crap. Why? This is yeah. why. Because yeah. you probably didn't notice fast enough because your external environment is adding to your burnout and mm -hmm. your internal environment is adding to your burnout. And the mm -hmm. stuff in your internal environment that's adding to your burnout is typically stuff that makes you really bad at things like interoception that we mentioned before. Mm -hmm. So if you have mm -hmm. a naturally diminished interoception because of earlier trauma or because of some sort of learned behavior in your household or because of a cultural factor... You're going to be more likely to burn out and you're not going to notice until it whacks you over the head. And that's not your fault. And and, and it's okay because you can still recover. Yeah, definitely. I, but yeah, I just, I love that you touched on this like self-blame and shame piece. Oh, yeah. Um, it's great. Yeah. Because I think that um, I definitely had that um, probably both times, but especially this time because it caught, it, it caught me by surprise because yeah. it was, it's a job that I love. Right. But then, yeah. So like, I think one of the things that really, I, one of the episodes of yours that I really loved was an interview with somebody and I can't remember her name, but we were talking about the stages of burnout. Um, and I listened Maybe to that tell. episode. Yeah. And mm. I listened to that episode and it was basically like stage one. Cause I'm like, I, I basically, when I got burnt out, when I realized I was burnt out, I was in denial. And mm. then I got to that place and then it hit me so hard that I was like, how did I get here? How do I get out of it? this is wild. Right. And I listened to that episode, um, among I've listened to like almost your entire podcast probably. <laughs> um, but this episode in particular was talking about the stages and she said basically from her like a perspective or maybe the data it's showing that like people just, you just don't know you're in burnout until yeah. you get there. And so the, the needs that people have are just so different. And then yeah. I think it's just added on to when there's all these continuing education or workplace talks about, you know, all these things about how to keep yourself well, but it's like, okay, even if I did those things and I'm burnt out, like I need, I need different care now. So I think I need different care now is, oh, sorry, yeah. is critical. And yeah. I think it's, it's important to grant yourself some grace around the fact that you didn't recognize it. Yeah. You've been, if you are taught, mm -hmm. especially as someone who was raised as a cisgendered female throughout their life, right? If, if you're raised this way, you're raised to pay attention to other people's needs first. Is it shocking that you don't know how to tune into yourself? Yeah. It's not yeah. shocking. Yeah. It's not surprising. Yeah. How are we supposed to notice things that we were taught to ignore, first of all? Mm -hmm. Second of all? Mm -hmm. things happen slowly and we make adaptations as we go along. One of the things that Kristen Holmes mentioned in, in our episode was that cognitive decline, emotional decline, and physical decline usually happen at such a slow rate mm -hmm. that we don't really notice. So what happens is like your hip starts hurting a little bit 
Mm. And it's been hurting for a few months, but you don't have time to deal with it. So you get softer shoes. You start wearing those like nurse Crocs or like the, Mm -hmm. what you know, you start Mm -hmm. wearing like a different set of shoes and it feels better for a little bit. Now you've actually started limping a little, but you don't really know. And you're hiking Mm. up your other hip to protect yourself, but you don't really notice. And then six months later, Mm. now both of your hips are hurting. And you were like, I totally forgot that my hip was hurting. Why are both of my hips hurting? Mm-hmm. We've all gone through this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. emotionally, physically, mentally, etc. It mm-hmm. happens really slowly. It builds up over time. And by the time we get there, we've made so many adaptations for all the mm-hmm. things that are bothering us mm-hmm. to be able to manage them, to be able to cope that we were coping until we weren't. Yeah. So you also don't notice it because it's a very slow decline. Yeah. Definitely. And you become accustomed to whatever it is you're feeling now, the headaches, the fatigue, the brain fog, mm. the you become accustomed to it mm. because you're used to it. So your brain is foggy. You can't remember those six letter codes. So you get accustomed to doing only two numbers at a time. And you're not thinking about the fact that your brain is no longer capable of doing six numbers at a time. You're just yeah. not thinking about it because why would you? You figured out a workaround. Yeah. Oh. And nurses know all the workarounds. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, um, I, I went through this and I think a lot of people that listen to the podcast, um, are in this situation, but when they work at a federally qualified health center mm. with, um, you know, grant funded, no insurance, yeah. things like that. And then rural health settings as well. Yeah. It's like, you kind of have to make do with what you have, yeah. um, and do your best. And that, that in addition to being a new grad, it's just, that's just a lot. It's a lot of things to take on. And so it's like, if you feel like you're drinking from a fire hose, you feel like you're drowning. Like a lot of people say when they're new grads that they're, they feel like they're drowning. And first of all, first of all, I just want to normalize that. Like you're not alone if you feel that way, but then also like, how could you pay attention to other things when you're like, just trying to keep your head afloat? Exactly. Cause so, so like, no that's blame. Like, yeah. And I think that's like one of the things I'm, I'm the reason I'm, I mean, I'm so passionate about this for so many reasons, but I think one of the tragedies that I've seen for this profession of nurse practitioners is that so many people by the time they, it takes about three years to be competent, to feel yeah. competent. Like, wow, I actually got this. Like it's a gradual process. You get milestones, but then at that three-year mark, so many people are like, okay, three years is really like a sweet spot of like, I know what I'm doing, you know? And like, you can be proud yeah. of it. And yet so many people make it there and are burnt out. Yeah. Right. And then they think about leaving the profession after three years and they just reach competence. And so that's one of my huge motivating factors for this whole company. And so it's just, Oh gosh, it's just, it's just really, it's so hard. (laughs) So I just really appreciate you coming on. I'm getting emotional thinking about it, but yeah. I think the thing that's important to know about that is like you said, you burnt out and then you left that environment and then you ended up burning out again. Yeah. Different set of circumstances, but same result. And I think the thing that's important for people to know is that the environment mattered was Mm -hmm. definitely a part of the scenario. And also there's this host of internal things that also matter, just not yeah. blame. There's yeah. just internal stuff yeah. that also matters that you take with you when you leave. Yeah. Can we, can we pivot to that? Can we talk about yeah. what the internal and external factors are? That like really blew my mind. Cause I think that, um, when, again, when we talk about in this profession, everyone's talking about external factors, but yes. some people don't even know what the external factors are. But yeah, I, I actually talked about this with my nurse practitioner friend who's been an NP for about 11 years. And she's like, oh, I never heard of internal factors. And well, she, I she... made them up. <laughs> Did you actually make them up? Yes. <laughs> oh, God. well, amazing. Go for it. Yeah, <laughs> so there's, sure a little, there's a little tiny piece of research on it in uh, the biggest researchers on burnout, Christina Moslock, Michael Leader, et cetera. They wrote mm-hmm. a book called Job Burnout, uh, and they've written numerous articles since before I was even born. So they, they, mm-hmm. a lot of the information that I use stems from them. Plus, for the external factors, they name six that they see regularly on a regular basis. And those six, if I can remember them all off the top of my head, are workload, which hi, every nurse ever. Yeah. Um, lack of autonomy. Oh, yes. 100%. Yeah. Right. That's a big one. Huge lack one. of praise and recognition. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Right. Lack of community, Mm. which can be up and down depending on where you're at. Because I know some nurses that are like, I would die without my other nurses. Like they are Mm -hmm. my family. Mm -hmm. Oh, values mismatch. So now we're into the moral injury conversation. Oh God. Yeah. Yep. And I only give this talk five times a month. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I was going to say, I still have a healing burnout brain, so I'm not really going to yeah. help you that much on that workload. Part, autonomy it's like overworked, underpaid, not appreciated. Oh, lack of fairness is the sixth one. Oh, right. Lack right. of fairness. Mm-hmm. The thing that I find problematic with those external factors is that we're not talking about how the internal factors can influence them. Say that again. Say that one more time. What we're not speaking about when we talk about internal factors is how the external factors can influence the internal factors. So if you are someone who has a history of trauma, a lack of interoception, and you are more keyed into the negative than the average person, you are going Mm. to perceive more things as not fair, and you're not going to be able to take in praise when it's given. So there will be a lack of recognition Double whammy. Yes. But not because it's not there, but because you can't take Mm. it in. I want to like overemphasize that for our nurse practitioner friends, because I hear that all the time. I think it comes so in that package of like, I put myself last, Mm -hmm. I put everyone first and and no one appreciates it. Yeah. Yeah. And then I can't receive it even when it's coming in because it's hard. And I have, that's a muscle I've had to work on too, but it's it's one of the usually trauma-based. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, one of the things that I talk about on Instagram, I haven't been as active with the last couple of months, but we talk about wins. And I know yeah. a lot of other business owners talk about that too, but I think it's just so important because it's, yeah, it's hard to, it's important to celebrate ourselves also what is going well. And sometimes it's about listening to a patient say, oh my God, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And taking three seconds, I literally mean three, to inhale. Give yourself a moment to recognize it before you walk out of the room. Mm, Absolutely. Take it in. But that's really hard for those of us that were taught through trauma and other Mm -hmm. developmental and parental issues Mm -hmm. that we weren't deserving of people's attention and gratitude and that our job was to serve. So we don't get that part whose mothers were treated in a certain way in the home saying, well, Mm -hmm. that's your job. Like deal with it. Mm. the mental load that we're supposed to carry all of those things so it can be hard to take in that gratitude and it is like you said a muscle that you have to work it's Mm -hmm. not something that comes naturally to most of us that burn out Mm -hmm. so lack of praise and recognition sometimes really does exist in a big way and also it exists more in populations that have a hard time accepting praise and recognition absolutely absolutely so most of the internal factors are in some way, shape, or form based on brain development. Mm-hmm. They are coping mechanisms that we created in response to trauma or the way that our brain developed. A lot of people go undiagnosed ADHD, undiagnosed mm-hmm. autism, et cetera, especially women, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of these developmental shifts that we go through that are not recognized And so we create ways to get around them. We create perfectionism. We create Mm. people-pleasing. We create an inability to accept recognition. We create low self-esteem. We create a separation from other people. We create what's known as in Gabor Mate's uh, book as super autonomous self-sufficiency, right? We create Mm. hyper-independence. That is such a big thing. Uh, uh, in this field so huge huge especially like oh and the overachieving too tends to go with the perfectionism it's like a package deal speaking also from experience (laughs) right so we create all of these modes of being that we carry with us throughout our lifetimes and then people tell us all of a sudden when we're 40 to stop being perfectionists and we're like wait what And sometimes people don't even recognize it. I think perfectionism may be easier, but then like people pleasing, for example, I think people can just not like, oh, that's the problem. You know, like they just haven't had it modeled another way. Right, exactly. And, And the other thing about these elements, these coping mechanisms, these shifts is that they worked for the majority of your life. Yes. Yeah. And also that reminds me to say like, there's no judgment. Like you always say that on your podcast, but I like- this is very transparent of me, but like the, even my own therapist is just like your coping skills kept you safe, you know? And like, yeah. that's not that's a what problem, they're for. right? And, and, but cope. now, it, and it's not working for you anymore. So like, yeah. let's choose something different, you know? Or let's find out my method with clients is let's find out where it's still really useful mm-hmm. so that we can exploit it in that area 
and then start relying on different measures in places where it's not useful anymore. So if you're a perfectionist and you're a nurse anesthesiologist, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like I kind of want you to really pay attention to those numbers. (laughs) Yes. That's like, please, yeah, please do that if I'm on your table. Mm -hmm. But if the dishwasher isn't stacked perfectly, like make it okay to just run it twice if you have to. Like, like, where can we actually use it? Because it's a power that we have. People pleasing as a nurse practitioner, thank God you do that because you know how many patients you have would never ask for a GD thing, (laughs) but you can feel into them because you have that superpower. Yeah. And you notice when they're thirsty and they're not asking for anything, mm-hmm. but you know, they need something and you provide it. Yeah. While that's unhealthy for you to do to the people in the grocery store. Yeah. You can do it for some of your patients, maybe not all of them all the time. Yeah. Right. But yeah. you can choose to use this skill that you've honed. I think one of the biggest misnomers is that we're trying to say that everything that you've created was a mistake. It wasn't mm-hmm. like you, like your therapist said, you created these things and they protected you and they worked. Perfectionism mm-hmm. worked really well for me. Mm-hmm. I got perfect grades all throughout school. I graduated near the top of my class in high school. I got a scholarship to college. Like it worked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't I continue something that worked? That's just mm-hmm. normal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're just normal. You're just doing the things that you learned worked. You tried them out when you were probably four. You mm-hmm. got attention for it. You got what you needed. Yeah. So you continued. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. But now, as an adult, some of these things are a little bit wonky in some areas of your life. Mm-hmm. I remember once when I was going through my, like, unwinding my own people-pleasing, I found myself in someone else's kitchen filling up a glass of water for a guest that was at their house because I noticed that their water was empty. I'm like, I'm not the hostess here. Go, Katie, sit down. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? (laughs) That's so funny. First of all, you're taking away that other person's autonomy. Yeah. You are deciding. I I know you're not going to. Yeah, go ahead. Right? I'm taking away their autonomy, their independence, and I'm assuming they don't have a voice. Because Mm -hmm. most of the time when I need something, I don't have a voice. So Mm -hmm. I become the voice for other people instead of becoming the voice for myself. Mm-hmm. But that's not actually helping them get a voice. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And like people, it seems like it's helpful, but it's actually ultimately not helpful. It's ultimately not helpful. And while I'm doing that, guess who I'm neglecting? I don't know if I need water. I just know yeah. that you need water. Mm-hmm. So I'm neglecting mm-hmm. myself. I'm taking over your powers. I'm not empowering you. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. And I'm being rude to the hostess. Yeah. All at the same time. Because I'm trying to be a good person and people please. But that's a scenario where I learned to, yeah, right. (laughs) That's where I learned to pull it out and say, Mm -hmm. well, I don't need to do that in this environment. Mm -hmm. I was living, I I was living in Prague when I was going through the majority of my recovery. And as an English and a Czech speaker, I would, and in Prague is massively touristic, right? Mm -hmm. There's tourists all over Prague every day, all day. It's un it's un it's unreal, but I would hear people speaking English on the tram and looking at a map, mm. and I would be offering them help before they even asked for it, mm. which sometimes was super appreciated and sometimes was like totally unnecessary. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. wasn't waiting until they sounded confused, but when you're spending so much time tuning into other people's conversations and mm-hmm. guess what you're doing, mm-hmm. you can't pay attention to yourself and to them at the same time. I'm helping people to get to Karlovy Most, to Charles Bridge, instead of getting myself to work in a mental state that's going to be good for the 15 patients I'm going to see today. Mm-hmm. What the heck? <laughs> so it's a but, but that patient in room three that never asks you for water and then doesn't pee because they're dehydrated, mm. remembering about them might literally save their lives mm. so it's oh you know like yeah eh. yeah none yeah, of there's these a lot of things there's a lot of nuance none of these things are either bad or good unless they're bad or good for you in a in a particular moment mm-hmm. definitely so again gentleness with yourself no self-blame you yeah. created patterns that worked so you repeat them okay you're human that's okay 
Well, I feel like that's, it's a really nice segue into, um, um, the burnout recovery process. Mm. Um, there's like, there's obviously so much to say about that, but I think that like, for my experience, I, again, like was in just as an, and I just share this to hopefully normalize it for other people. It just like really snuck up on me where I just like, I knew I was stressed, but I'm like, oh, I'm tenacious. I can handle this. I have a really high capacity. And then I just like dropped me basically. Um, and I just, I kind of panicked because I was like, well, Mm -hmm. this is my, this is my job. Um, this is my livelihood. This is my income, like all this stuff. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And I just remember like, like, some divine insight was like, oh, there's a podcast named Fried that I heard about several years ago. And I was like, oh yeah, I never did check that out. And then I started listening to stuff. Um, but yeah, I just, I basically was like, yeah, where I was like, how did I get here? How do I get back as fast as possible? I'm going to take like a couple weeks off, <laughs> which I know oh. you have some opinions on. This is like, so the FAQ, the frequently asked question along a lot of burnout people is, um, how do I make the most out of my recovery. I have about three weeks off because I literally asked myself that same question. I didn't have a limit on like the three weeks. Cause again, I work for myself. So it's like a little bit more flexible, but I was like, you know, I gotta, I gotta work at this, <laughs> which is ridiculous to say now that I've been through it. Is it though? It's not, it's not because it's, it's really demonstrative of like where we come from when we're in exactly. burnout of like, we just, we just want to get over this as quick as possible and get back to myself. And I'm still impatient and it's been, it's been several months. It's been, I don't even know. It's been since, I don't know, at least six months or so. Um, yeah. About, and, and I'm like, well, when is it coming back? I'm I'm going to do a three month hiatus from the podcast. I'm going to come back. I'm like, okay, well, I, I love doing podcasts. So I'm doing it, but I'm still not a hundred percent. Right. So I no, guess like, and you won't be yeah, probably for another six to 12 months. Yeah. Can we just let that sink in for a second for people? That like 12 it, to 18 months is the average recovery time with support. It doesn't have to be my support, it can be support of your nurse, another nurse practitioner, of a doctor, yeah. of a functional medicine practitioner, of an acupuncturist, of a Reiki master, of a mm. therapist, of a I don't care who the support is. Yeah. Without support, we're looking at a three to five year range to recover from burnout. And when I say recover from burnout, What I mean is to get your brain back to a fully functioning state and for you emotionally to not be afraid of burnout because you are so aware of what's going on in your own world now that if you feel yourself going in that direction, you feel really confident in your tools to be able to pull it back. Mm-hmm. So not to that me, it's never going to come back. Just that, not, like you right. can recognize that. Totally. Right? Cause I think that's this is when burnout prevention too. is okay. Yeah. This yeah, is where I'm also- okay with it. Yeah. And also like, I just, I loved, and so I maybe multiple episodes, you talked about how it's, it, it's not a one and done thing. Like I thought, I thought the first time I burnt out, I was like, oh, I recognize it. I fixed it. I changed my job. It's fine. And then this time I was like, I just, I think that was another layer of shame is like, I've been through this before. Like what's wrong with me, you know? But I think that it was really normalizing for me to hear that. Like, if you've had burnout before, it's likely you can do it again. Like, I don't know what this, the data is on that, but it's not a, it's not a, it's not a malfunction of you. It's just, oh, okay. I'm noticing how quickly, like I'm noticing quicker. I'm getting into burnout and I have better tools to get me out of it quicker. It's not going to take 18 months next time. Hopefully. Exactly. I don't know. That's what I'm taking from it. Exactly. But, yes. Yeah. But then that's exactly true. It takes less time. You notice it faster. You react faster. Mm-hmm. Um, but those of us that have a tendency to burnout have a tendency to burnout because of a, a myriad of factors. So epidemiologists would call this a web of causation. Each one of us has a web of causation. There's internal factors, there's external factors, there's cultural factors, there's health factors, there's all these things. Yeah. And so sometimes you're going to deal with a wheel, you know, one strand of that web, and it's going to feel really good, but there's still six more strands that you haven't gotten to. And that's not your fault because you can only do so much at one time. Yeah. But I think going back to this question of how do I optimize burnout recovery? The idea that you have to optimize it is the first thing that you need to address. Mm-hmm. If, if you if you have to optimize everything in your life, that's problematic. Like we don't, we're not actually designed to optimize everything all the time. So we are not going to optimize your burnout recovery. We're going to start breathing. Mm-hmm. We have to start with foundational self-care and interoception. Mm. If these skills do not get built you will not be able to do the further skills and they are what take the longest because mm-hmm. you likely 
at some point of your development, whether from nature or nurture, at some point of your development, didn't develop this as well as some other people, and you need to actively work on it as an adult in order to be able to start to meet your own needs. It's just that simple. Mm -hmm. That is where we begin, no matter what. People are like, build boundaries to keep yourself safe. I'm like, whoa, hold on. Yeah. We'll get there. <laughs> Take it easy. We'll, yeah. yeah, we'll we'll get there. Mm -hmm. But let's figure out what you actually need boundaries around. And you can't know mm -hmm. that unless you know yourself. Mm -hmm. You can't know that. Mm -hmm. You make things up and then you fight with people and your boundaries feel like electric fences because you don't know how to actually structure them properly. Mm -hmm. Most boundaries have gates in them. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are flexible. Mm -hmm. Boundaries also include your ability to ask for help and let people in. It's not just about keeping people out. Mm -hmm. We're so confused about boundaries because we don't know where we are. Yeah. Are you standing in your own garden with a fence around you that has a gate? Mm -hmm. or are you locked in a basement somewhere? <laughs> like where, where are you? You don't know where you are. We have to yeah. start there. Spend time with yourself, with your body, with your sensations. Mm -hmm. Some sort of somatic practice. There's a million options. This is very popular right now. Mm. Go find a weirdo on the internet that can help you. I say that with so much love. <laughs> I am one of those weirdos, right? Like, I mean, I was doing acupuncture. Yeah. I started acupuncture school at 19. That's weird. Mm. That's an abnormal time to get into something like that. Mm. Right. So I say weirdo with so much love. Mm. Start with that foundational self-care interoception if you grant yourself that gift every single step you take after it will become easier every single totally. step absolutely well i want to be mindful of our time um i guess one um well like i have to i have to say well okay either i can shout you out or you can share about the things that i, I i'll just share and then you can add anything so <laughs> one one just like one little pearl i wanted to add was about resentment mm. um so like one of the mind blowing things about again i just like love your work so much but like you talk about resentment and resentment is a really helpful clue to where you need a boundary and so yes. one of the practices you recommend is keeping a resentment journal. I'm still working mm -hmm. on mine, um, but it's, that's another piece. I think as a starter piece that I found yeah. just so fascinating. And um, why is and it then, a starter piece? What I, does it well, help you do? It like tunes into, yeah. Like it tunes into like what I exactly. want and I need and how I feel yeah. totally. So I feel like it's yeah. really complimentary. And then I think the other pieces too, um, is I'd really like, I cannot recommend enough. Your podcast it is you. just like the most valuable resource and it's free. Like that's amazing. So many great things on there. And it's so searchable by podcast of topic. Cause there's different levels of like, if I'm just starting out with burnout or if I'm in recovery or all this stuff. And like, that's what I, like the ones I listened to at the beginning are very different than ones I listen to now. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you're also a coach and you help people. And, um, I actually have my therapist and a coach already, which is yeah. the only reason why I haven't worked with you, but, um, I would totally work with you if I weren't working with both of them. Um, but yeah, just, I, and I've, and I've read your book. I'm clearly obsessed. So <laughs> those are just some hashtag obsessed. Um, so those are just a couple of things that I wanted to share with people, but are there other things that you want to share with people? Like a last pearl of practice or kind of like last thought or resource or anything like that to share with people? The resentment piece is really, really important. Tuning into an emotion in that way helps build your interoception, right? It helps you reconnect with yourself in a way that you've probably never allowed yourself before because anger and resentment and those are bad emotions, mm. right? But this is a permission to explore something, which I think is really important. The resentment journal is my favorite tool that I've ever created. And the podcast is my favorite resource that I've ever created. I love the book, but the podcast is a different, I think just like a different level. I think the only thing that I would add is that the biggest part of my business is not even coaching. The biggest part of my business is speaking. Mm. So I can come into your hospitals. Mm. I can, you know, I can come to your offices. I can mm. go all of those places. I travel all over the country, sometimes all over the world mm. to teach the basics of what burnout really is. Because even as nurse practitioners who have a lot of knowledge, even as therapists, people don't really know what's happening. And of course, the things that I teach now might be different in five years because science and research and we learn and that's okay. Yeah. But having this basic understanding and allowing us to remove some of this shame, blame, guilt and judgment allows us to then start to actually create those culture shifts that we need as teams to make an, a real difference. Mm -hmm. So this is 
the work that I do the most of the time. Definitely. And I, and I just, I can't stress enough, like in all the work that I've done with burnout recovery and equity work, like all of it comes like, it's so important to start with the individual, any sort of large movement is done on an individual level first, and then communities, individuals who have done the work, right? Like you can't really start top down in terms of like, let's end burnout culture just by like saying we're going to right? like, no, that's not how that works. It's individual people. So, um, well, and that's important. And I know we're short on time, but there's so many important things to say. (laughs) This idea that the culture needs to shift is an important one. And I agree with it. Mm. And this culture starts in medical school and in nursing school. Mm-hmm. It's as early as that, where you are really like you're being weeded out. That's a known thing that happens. You're being bullied. That's a known thing that happens. Right? So that starts really early and, and those things do need to shift. So I don't want to say that the culture pieces don't need to change. And I want yeah. to recognize that if I am a person who came into the world, I don't know whether my developmental changes were mostly nature or mostly nurture. I know that nature had some effect and I know that nurture had plenty of effect. I didn't admit that for a very long time, but I took the ACEs score and I was a little surprised. If I understand that I'm bringing my whole self to a situation, and even if the situation is ideal, I'm going to be bringing pieces of myself that make it more difficult for myself and for others. Part of my process was assuming always that I wasn't good enough for anything, which meant that I was always looking for ways that other people weren't good enough too. You want to talk about judgmental? Mm. Whoa, I was miss. Judgerton, Missy McJudgerton was my name. I had moral superiority, real, real high. Righteousness <laughs> through the ceiling. Not proud of that, mm-hmm. but was very true for me. And it was how I kept myself, I thought at the time, safe. Mm. But if I'm bringing that to an environment that has been improved, I'm still bringing that. So we talk about this when I'm talking with people one-on-one. I say, well, what are the ingredients you want to bring to the communal energetic soup? If you want to improve the ingredients that you're bringing, that's where the internal work comes in. And if all of us do a little bit of internal work, the flavor of the communal soup gets better exponentially. We can't all be showing up with bitterness. It doesn't work well. Nobody likes it. But often we are not even realizing it. And this is not, again, to blame people. There's no blame in this. But we do, like you said, we do need to start on this individual level, unwinding some of these internal processes that we've gained again nature versus nurture do the best we can with what we've got so that the ingredients that we're presenting to the world are as good as they can be in that way we can make that cultural shift actually stick so we need policies mm-hmm. and we need oh, attention yes. and we need all of those things but we also need to be able to use those policies and not think that we're a better person if we ignore the like no triple shift policy Mm-hmm. Like you can't be yeah. better than everybody else for working a triple shift if the sh- if the policy is double shift only. Yeah. And that's definitely. not something that anybody else can do for you. Yeah. Definitely. That's something that you have to decide for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You show up so differently when you've changed internally yeah. or grown. Yeah. So the both pieces are necessary and don't wait for the external things to shift for you. Do your stuff mm-hmm. because the more of us that are doing this stuff, the more of us are showing up to environments and then not accepting them naturally anymore because we're like, no, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, none of this, sir. Yeah, totally. I love that. I think that's probably the end. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. This is so fun. I could talk to you for, I could talk to you for hours. So thank you so, Same. so, so much. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll share all the links and um, we didn't touch a ton on the ACE questionnaire, but I'll, I'll, yeah. Uh, adverse childhood events questionnaire. I'll, I'll link to that below as well. And um, yeah. yeah, just thank you so much. You're really welcome. You can it. feel oh, free where, to where share that paper. Yes. Um, yeah. Feel free to share that. Um, you can, the easiest place to find me is the podcast fried the burnout podcast. It's everywhere that you listen to podcasts and that will guide you to all the other things mm-hmm. where I am. So that's, I think like the easiest entry point for people. Totally. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank really you so much. It. Thank you.
that's our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and tell all your NP friends so together we can help as many nurse practitioners as possible give the best care to their patients. If you haven't gotten your copy of the ultimate resource guide for the new NP, head over to realworldnp.com slash guide. You'll get these episodes sent straight to your inbox every week with notes from me, patient stories, and extra bonuses I really just don't share anywhere else. Thank you so much again for listening. Take care and talk soon.